appreciate you taking the time to visit with me and, and talk about this. And Tim, several years ago, a friend of mine who, gosh, he's mid-70s now, um, he had pastored a church that probably ran about 250 and just a, a good, solid church. And, and they, like, like most churches, they wanted to grow and they, they called a guy that was a bad fit. And, um, and, and the church just really suffered and declined. And, and my friend asked me, he said, Steve, whatever happened to being a pastor? And I just go, oh, wow. Uh, I think there's more to that question than, than, um, than we realize. And so I look at, at all of the churches that, that I deal with and, and the majority that you work with, are, are, and I hate to use the term smaller membership, but are under 200 in membership. Um, and that's the overwhelming majority of, of our churches. And so, so what I'm doing with you, and I'm going to visit with, uh, uh, with, with John this afternoon from West and uh, John Crowder, just What's it like to be a long-term pastor? Let's talk about, about being a pastor. And uh, we'll talk with David Harp at First Stanton. But what I wanted to visit with you about is, um, man, you look at statistics and you hear so many negatives about local church. It's in decline, um, conflict. Tell me, and let's just kind of visit about the churches that you see that are healthy and are good and, and what they're doing and how they're impacting their community. Okay. So a uh, good, good long conversation here. <laughs> well, I think so. And, and, and Tim, what, I, what I want this to be is just a conversation with you and me and less an interview, you know? Yeah. Well, and there are there are so many facets to the question you ask. You know, are uh, smaller membership churches today healthy? Um, are they doing well? And um, which which aspect of that question do you really want to focus in on to begin? Where where do we start? Tim, I I think I think let's start in on. Um, you know, how do you, how would you define a healthy church for a smaller membership body? Okay. Um, well, first of all, you know, churches have been resilient for uh, two millennia. You know? <laughs> wow. Yeah, there, there's been churches that have gone through all kinds of stresses and changes and cultural shifts, technological innovations. You know, you think back what... What did it do to the church whenever the printing press was invented? What did the Reformation do to churches? And, you know, the big picture, you know, 30,000 foot view of church helps encourage me um, in that uh, somehow, some way, the church continues to find a way and to survive. In its current iteration, of course, there are many stresses, a lot of competition. I was just on a call with some pastors earlier this morning where, uh, you know, they were kind of um, 
uh, I, I don't know, just reflecting on the reality that they're really in competition with every other church that's out there on Facebook, every other church that's on TV, every other church that, you know, is on the website and how uh, many of the uh, former attenders, former active church members are now just channel surfing and, and going through church, you know, mm -hmm. uh, click and watch a song here and then flip over and, and hear a sermon over there. And then, you know, and so the whole notion of my church and my pastor and my community is again uh, in flux. You know, we, we're at one of those moments where uh, flux is, is, I think, a chemical term that talks about when a substance turns into liquid and, and is able to go into any different shape, uh, you know, from there. Like when lead gets so hot, it, it becomes liquid and you can pour it into molds and it comes out different. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think we're definitely in a moment of or, or in an era of, of flux. Um, and uh, for many of us, that's pretty distressing uh, in, in that, well, what, did, what about the, everything we've known, trained for, uh, been accustomed to, and loved, um, and we know how to do it. We feel competent doing church the way it was in the uh, 1990s, you know, whenever we were at our peak. Maybe, maybe. I don't know if we were at our peak in our 1990s or not, but, you know, it seemed like we, we had a handle on, you know, what, what does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to do church? What does it mean to be a pastor? And so many things have changed since then with technology revolutions, cultural revolutions, you know, the globalization, the, you know, uh, all the cultural changes going anyway, not, you can't even make a exhaustive list of all the changes that are coming over washing over the church and, and impacting the church in very deep ways and so it definitely leaves us feeling disoriented and dis dislocated um in so many ways but again if if i can back up the camera and say let's look at this from a long perspective the leg the the church has had an amazing ability through the centuries of landing on its feet again, like right. a cat does. Right. And uh, I, I don't know how that's going to happen. I, I'm not a prophet in that sense, don't have a crystal ball. But I do know that, golly, the church has endured a lot and, and gone through a lot. And, and okay, it's okay. You know, the, <laughs> and I, I really feel like the existence of the church today is testimony to the living, risen Jesus Christ. You know, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is more real to me because I can actually look out the window and see, well, there's still a church going on over there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so the presence of Christ is somehow assuring and, and maintaining that which we call the body of Christ, uh, perpetuating that through these changes. Now, all the specific technical or, or um, manifestations of that, I don't, I don't know that I have all the answers to all that. But I do know that the gospel is still as relevant as ever it was. Um, you know, people need relationship. People need forgiveness. Yeah. People need a sense of connection to God. Yeah. People need redemption. You know, that people uh, mess up their lives and destroy things, and they need resurrection. They need new starts. And, and so everything about the gospel, um, even the cross, how, 
how God fixes bad stuff in the world. It's in the cross, you know, by, by somebody innocent dying and through that death, suffering, uh, redeem, redemption happens. And all those things, nothing of that's changed. It's just all of our iterations of how we have celebrated that, remembered that, perpetuated that. That's all what's changing, how, how we're doing. So I think, yeah, if your question was back to, you know, what does a healthy church look like? Uh, for me, uh, a healthy church is one that uh, gets in touch again with those fundamental things about what does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to be a people of God? What does it mean to be a community? And then how do we do that now? Yeah. Um, and, and go back to the why of why were we doing that before? Because, you know, I don't think you're going to resurrect training union no. uh, from the 60s, just like I don't think you're going to resurrect some of the things that uh, we used to enjoy just a year ago. I think some of those things are going to be gone. But that doesn't mean our gospel's gone, our Lord's gone, our mission's gone, or our message is gone. It, all that's still rock solid. But we have to grapple again with okay, so what do we mean by worship? What do we mean by community care? What do we mean by uh, outreach and evangelism? What do we mean by ministry? And, and then how do we do that? So it's a real big thinking, rethinking, I think, is what's going on. I, I agree with you. And, and I wonder, Tim, remind me, you were, um, did, were you in Argentina for nine years as missionary there? Yes. Okay. I couldn't remember the country. I, I thought that was right. So, so I wonder how nimble on our feet, you, you used the word flux, how fluid do we need to be um, as we think through how to connect people with the good news, how to connect people to one another, how to, um, how, how we are shaped as God's people and, and formed in Christ's likeness. And so, so I, I wonder if your experience from the mission field and, and now what, 20 years in this role, mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess I would ask you, oh gosh, Tim, it's a hard question for me to even, even form. Um, how tied to the forms of church do you see us being and, and how much of that do we need to let go? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, quite a lot. I, I, I regularly am hearing appeals and laments from pastors about wanting their congregants to go back and do what you were doing, uh, just like in January, you know, or or just like you were doing 20 years ago, wow. you know? Um, and, and so we're, we're overall, I think we're pretty white knuckled in hanging on to that, which we've known and loved, but I'm not sure that that even uh, matters. If, if I could just be as bold to say that because the change is going to come, whether we embrace it or not. Right. And, and it, it's, it's like the, um, it's like the 60 year old who keeps hanging on to the vision of life he had at 20 
years of age, it just ain't going to work. <laughs> you know, well, experience there, Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm making it very personal here, Steve, between you and me. I'm going to say you're you getting know. a little close. I'm not 60, but I, I can see it. So. Yeah, I am 60. And, and uh, you know, if, if I really go try to live as if I was 20 years of age again, um, there are going to be a lot of, of bad disappointments uh, or even damage, you know, to my body, to my family, to, you know, every, you know, I'm going to do a lot of harm to myself by not just uh, letting go of the past and embracing uh, what's now new. Uh, I do. I, I know that change happens because you have a few innovators out there. Not everybody's an innovator. Um, not everybody sees as clearly as others uh, what's coming and what change needs to happen. But there are some. There's some innovators among us. And then when those innovators hit on something, then there's the imitators, you know, who who follow up on them and say, "Ooh, that's that's working for evangelism." And then you know, many join that. And then there's the stragglers, you know, that come along after that. Um, who eventually get on board. So again, you know, um, just if you if you um, use the the metaphor of the flux, the the metal in flux, uh, the the form of church has gone into flux, and and so simply realizing that uh, may help us to quit trying to grab it in our fingers and keep reshaping it back the way it used to be. It may let us take our hands off of it a little bit and say, okay, let me, let me see what God's doing and let me see where this is going. And then let me figure out how I can handle it then um, or how I can participate in this work of God uh, then in the new form that it's taking. Those are, you know, those are scary things when you're 40, I mean, even 30, 40, 50 years old, and you've invested, you know, a, a good seven to 10 years in, in college and seminary to go and, and pastor or minister at another staff division in a church. And that's where you anticipate making a living for the rest of your life. Those are scary things. Um, I, I mean, I'm 54 and I'm just kind of going, okay, what, uh, Probably when I grow up this time, you know, um, and and I'm encouraging, especially these folks, men and women who are entering into ministry now. Look, you better be bivocational. Um, you you better find a way to financially, uh, to fund ministry and to uh, to fund your family's life. Because yeah. uh, it's going to be difficult to do that. It's a, and, you know, it may sound trite or flippant, but it genuinely is a walk of faith. It, it, it's like throwing yourself into a future that you don't see how it's possibly going to work. And um, not understanding that it, it may not work. You know, uh, this may not pan out the way I thought it did. But, yeah. you know, nevertheless, I'm going to live by what I know is true, do what I've known I've been called to do, and, and exercise my life here in this planet in a way I feel like God's made me to do. And um, yeah, there's a lot of scariness about it, especially in the, in the uh, vested interest parts. 
Yeah. I think it's healthy to admit we've got a vested interest in maintaining what's been. Yeah. It's been very, it's sustained us. It's paid our, into our retirement fund. You know, thank you, Guidestone. And, uh, <laughs> it, you know, there's been a, a, a fairly comfortable ride for some of us uh, by the graciousness of God. Um, but our, our mission is not preserving that. Right, right. Our, our mission is knowing and loving God and uh, participating with him in his work of redemption in this world as we find it. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's scary. I, I feel it. I get it. You know, I know that. Um, and, you know, churches, some are seeing their budget shrink and some are seeing their congregation shrink. And, you know, they're, they're wrestling with those questions. But, you know, as I've dealt with dying churches, I, one of the things that I've noticed is, is that one of the last phases of their life is the clinging to survival um, becomes the mission of the church rather than redemption of the world. Right. Right. And so that's why the, it, at the end of the church's life, there's two committees that predictably keep working the building and grounds committee and the finance committee because they want to preserve the CDs and they want to preserve the, the bank accounts. I mean, the, the CDs and the buildings, you know, the, um, the money and the buildings become the point of all that we're doing. Right. You know, and right. so, you know, we want people to come so that they'll give so that we can keep the building up. We want people to come and give so that we can keep the money in the bank. And, and at that point, we've actually lost sight of why are we even here? Yes, I agree 100%. And, and I have thought that, um, mm -hmm. you know, when, when your church budget, when one out of every three minimum, maybe even one out of every two and a half dollars that comes in goes to uh, building maintenance, and 10% of your whole budget goes to ministry, which really is just sustaining the programs you already have. It's not really ministry. Then, then all you're doing is running an organization, and and you're going to die. Yeah, well, that that particular organization may die, um, and yeah. that church may die, and and we at the association level here in Waco, we regularly, every year, see two or three churches close their doors, right. and and um, it's happening across the whole the whole country, so that, but. You know, what I began our conversation with was that that to me doesn't mean the gospel's dying or that the, the mission of the church is dying. It means that some groups of people have have lost sight of why they were there and that particular organization dies and goes away. But almost in, inevitably in that same soil, in that same building, mm -hmm. something new pops up mm -hmm. that replaces it that does have a sense of we are a community of people, a body of Christ in this place with a mission to accomplish in the world. Yeah. And uh, very frequently it looks different eth ethnically, very different. Very frequently it, it looks very different in its, all its forms and styles and shapes. But again, that's the, the inevitability of these changes that are coming. That's what I was talking about is I'm not, I'm not discouraged about where the church or yeah. churches are going. I just know that some individual churches aren't going to make it. Um, and, you know, we, we mourn the loss. We sell, just like we would mourn the, the loss of a, 
dearly beloved mother or, or, or father, you know, and, and, and that we celebrate the life, the good things they did when they were with us. We, and then we long for, oh gosh, but what we cannot do is think that, oh, this is coming back. Right, right. You know, because it's not. It's not. It, it is absolutely not. And, and um, you know, church has radically changed since, since I started uh, pastoring. And, and even since I was in seminary, but uh, a friend of mine said that um, I feel like they, they changed the game while I was in the middle of it, you know, while I was playing on the court and nobody told me. Yeah. And um, it, it is just so fluid. But the basics of who God calls us to be and what God calls us to do remain the same. And, and one of the things I'm really thinking through and, and struggling with, to be honest, is, is, man, how do I, how do I engage in worship and how do I, how do I help people and encourage people to uh, engage in scripture and be formed by scripture and to pray together uh, and to serve? Um, you know, what, what do those look like and how do I begin to, uh, I guess to pastor people in that way, um, outside of a uh, an address at eleven o'clock on Sunday morning. Yeah, and and those those are the very deep questions that are difficult to wrestle with. These are not easy conversations to have within our own selves, within our family, and then within our congregation. Uh, these are very difficult questions, yeah. but we, you know we can't avoid we can't avoid or, or skip this conversation. You know, long time ago, I learned about strategic planning. There's an order to the questions that we need to ask ourselves as an organization, as a church or whatever. And the first question is always uh, why? When you plan an event, you need to ask the question, why are we gonna do this event? Because <laughs> everything else after that, all your other planning, all your other details, who, what, where, and how, all that is subject to the first answer of why are we doing this? Yes. And, and why, when you answer that, gives you your mission. Um, so why am I here on this earth as an individual? Why am I here? And, and if, if I can come down to my mission, then I can move to the next step of, okay, what's my context and what's important to me? Right. And that's your values. What are, what are, the, what are the things that I'm not willing to surrender, shouldn't surrender? Uh, not willing to change, don't want to change, uh, that what are, what are those things that identify who I am uniquely in Christ and our values? And then you finally get to, okay, then what should this look like? And that's part of the conversation I'm afraid many have skipped during this pandemic. The, the pandemic has given us all an opportunity to stop and, and let's re, rethink these things. Wow. Why are we gathering on Sunday mornings? You know, what's important to us? And then how, now when can we do that? Instead, we've wanted to jump back to, oh, we've got to restart everything and make it just like it was before. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and that's a missed opportunity, frankly. Well, I, and, and Tim, I'm going to have to look this up, but, but I read or heard somewhere that 50% that of the population is no longer reachable by traditional church methods and models. And, and so, you know, if, if what we're trying to do is, is you know play a better guitar and better drums and better light show you know we know there's 50 percent we're going to reach but there's 50 percent of our population that that we've got to figure out how to connect them and 
it, what are the ways that we use to draw them closer to God? I mean, um, so I read, and this has been really important to me over the course of the last year, I was preaching through, uh, through Luke and um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story of Jesus' temptation. And Matthew and Mark, at the end of that story, both say, and the angels came and attended to him. Luke does not. And Fred Craddock, in his commentary, said, for Luke, Scripture is sufficient to generate and sustain faith. Hmm. And I just go, wow, how can we help people to engage in Scripture and let, let the Holy Spirit work through that to connect them. Um, so I'm really thinking and praying through those kind of things. And, you know, and the challenge is I look at that and go, well, you ain't ever going to make a living doing that. You know, you're not going to fund your retirement that way. So, um, and, and I confess that, that I have to really, you know, I, I have to go, okay, this is bigger than my retirement plan. So, Lord, how do we do this? You know, um, and and yeah. I, I say that to say I think churches need to think in ways of connecting people with with Christ outside of you have to come inside this building on a certain hour each day. How do 100%. we begin to grow people and connect people outside of this? Hundred percent agree. And, uh, I, I, you know, you don't have to go anywhere further other than Scripture. You know, look at what Jesus did. Jesus did not have a model of, uh, you know, I'm going to go heal these 50 people and feed these other 100 people. Then they're going to come to my service. Wow. Right. <laughs> you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't build a building. <clears throat> and uh, he reached a lot of people. You know, he, he managed to transform a lot of lives. So that to me again gets back to we've got to be crystal clear on what is our mission why yeah. are we here yeah. and and if we're not crystal clear on why are we here then nothing else we plan or execute makes any sense you know well, and tim i will tell you that's a real excitement to me i mean when i start thinking about the way that jesus did ministry not by going out and knocking on the door and inviting people to the church, but engaging in people's lives. And um, that's an encouragement to me. I, I mean, that, that tells me, I mean, I went through a pretty difficult period after, after pastoring and, and it's been three years and it's taken me almost that long to realize I, I wasn't a failure, you know, mm -hmm. um, because None of the churches I pastored, you know, blew up in growth. And um, but there's 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 more to ministry than that. And uh, yes. uh, so those are the things that that man, it's a challenge to think of if you're pastoring in a local church because your people are formed and trained. You and I talked one time, and this was gosh, Tim, it's probably 15 or 20 years ago, that, um, man, the Sunday school board was genius in the way that they trained people. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, 
those folks were trained in that way of church. And that's the way you did it. And it didn't matter if you were at First Baptist Waco, First Baptist Dallas, or First Baptist Calgary, Canada. At 945, you did Sunday school. At 11 o'clock, you did worship. You had brotherhood on this date. You had WMU here. You know, you had, well, BYPU, training union, whatever you want to call it, you know, at this time. And, and boy, we had it down. Yep. Um, and that's not, that's not going to happen. And, and so now we, we're, we're really having to rethink, you know, what does it mean to be faithful in, in our yeah. And, and, you know, the, as a leader of an association, uh, all of these conversations have not escaped uh, me either. You know, uh, the way we used to do association life isn't available anymore. Yeah, it's just not, it's not, we're not going to go back to the way it was <clears throat> 20 years ago. And um, so it's a little bit scary, you know, to think, well, um, you know, we, this isn't working. That's not working. That's not other but again, what that pushes me to do as, as a leader in association is go back to why am I here? You know, what, mm -hmm. what purpose are we fulfilling in this region with all these churches around? And uh, why do we need to be here? And, yeah. and again, define what is our mission and then, and then kind of claw our way through the dark to figure out how to execute that mission under different circumstances. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask, let me ask this and, and, uh, cause I want to honor your time, but, but what I'm seeing as I start to travel around again and is I'm hearing most people say that as they begin to regather, they're running about 50% of what they did pre COVID that yep, that's, is good. Is that, is that kind of what you're hearing? Yes. Uh, all across the board. It's about 50, the churches that have reopened, are reaching about 50% of their people. The interesting part of that, the other kind of uh, sunny side of that number is that most of the churches that I've talked with haven't experienced that big of a drop of giving. Yeah. Uh, so their financial uh, uh, contributions are pretty steady in spite of all of this, which is encouraging. But I think that there's a limited window of time when when we can expect or enjoy that. And and then we have to make some critical pivots towards um, the new way of doing some things in a sensible way. Uh, you know, cause this isn't, this isn't gonna last forever, this current thing. You, you but, hit on, on exactly what I'm thinking. I, I'm hearing our attendance is about 50% pre COVID. Our giving is, is at least a hundred. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's close, it's good. But at some point there's gonna be an equilibrium. And, and the 50 is not going to come up to meet that 100. At, at some point, um, our attendance and our giving is going to balance. Um, I'm grateful that right now giving is good. Uh, I talked with, uh, with a pastor last week who said, you know, we got 50. Our goal for 2021 is to get back to 80% attendance. And he said, we're really going to have to work to do that. And, and he said, Steve, I, I don't know that we'll ever really go back beyond that. Uh, we're going to have to be real creative in, in, in the way we do ministry now. And, and I think that's facing a lot of churches. 
Yeah, and uh, but again, I, I hear that kind of conversation or, or that kind of talking a lot. But I think that there's an error in there in that we're beginning with the wrong question. Okay. And, and uh, when you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer. Right. It's like in math. It, you know, your wife is a great math teacher. And uh, when you start with the wrong formula, yes. you know, at the beginning, yes. you're not going to produce the number you need, yeah. you know, at the end. Yeah. So beginning with the right question is, is so critical in this. But, um, you know, the, the question that haunts us is how do we get our uh, bodies other people use different anatomy parts back into the pews uh, like they were six months ago. That's the wrong question. Yeah, because that's okay. Not right. Well, and it's just the wrong question because because our command, our our mandate, our sense of mission has never been to get bodies in pews. Yeah. At least I don't think it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've never understood scriptures that way. Um, I think our our mandate has always been go and make disciples, uh, go and transform the world, you know, announce the good news and, and bring people to love, know Jesus so that they love him, so that they follow him. Right. And, uh, you know, so it's maybe the better question would be, well, we had 100 people, bodies in the pews before. How could I get 100 bodies to engage with one uh, person who's currently not in the faith? Yeah. in a meaningful way? How yeah. could I move? How could I influence a hundred people to build a new relationship, share the gospel across that relationship and, and, and disciple somebody? Yeah. Um, and then let the bodies and pews sort themselves out. But that's not the goal. Right. You know, right. it was like, uh, because the buildings limit our vision. Actually, the buildings are, and the number of chairs in there, are a real enemy to, to God-sized visions. Um, a long time ago, I realized that when a, you give a first grade Sunday school class teacher a room with eight chairs in it and a little table, you know, that teacher's vision is automatically limited to how can I get eight kids here? Yeah. yeah. And, and instead of taking the teacher outside the church and saying, look, you, you, you're to minister to first graders. How many first graders live in our community? Well, maybe 200. You know, you have a congregation of 200 people. How can you, how can you use your limited time, limited energy, limited experience, limited resources, but how could you use your limited time to bring 200 children to know and trust and love Jesus? Yep. Let's forget about those eight chairs. Let's forget about those eight, that little Sunday school classroom that's become like blinders on your head. And, and, you know, I'm not trying to get you to get eight bodies back in, the, in that classroom. I'm trying to uh, help you understand there are 200 people that need your love. Yeah. And how do, you, how do you love them? How do you build bridges of communication? How do you build community? How do you, you know, all that. And the same thing is true with a pastor. You know, I know it's discouraging to stand and preach to 45 people in, a, in an auditorium if built for 300. Yeah. And, and the instinct in us screams, you know, you got to get, those pews filled again <laughs> you yeah. know you and and honestly it's it's more like uh you need it pastor you need these bodies in this pew for your ego for your sense of success or yours and and that's not evil it's just it's that's where we're coming from yeah. this is painful uh you know having a worship band with two people is painful you know and and i want to get 
all this back so that I feel better about myself. But maybe we're starting with the wrong question again. You know, it's not like, how do we get 200 bodies back in that building? It's how do I get 200 people to engage in gospel living and, and become evangelists, disciple makers, yeah. healers, ministry, you know, to exercise their gifts. And, and, you know, so what is, what is my impact look like on those? And then what does their impact look like on others? And how do we figure that out? And it may not be that we need those buildings anymore. You know, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, how many businesses have figured out immediately and boom, how many businesses figured out they don't need their expensive big office spaces? Right. You know, uh, as soon as they sent their workers home to do remote within three or four weeks, it becomes apparent that's working and that's not, <laughs> you know, and we, we need these five people here in this building, but we don't need those other 35 people there. And so businesses are pivoting, you know, again, they were sending salesmen all over the world uh, to sell their products. And all of a sudden they realized, hmm, we can sell without plane trips and hotels and budgets. And, and so businesses aren't thinking about, gosh, I need to get my 35 salesmen back on airplanes next month. Yeah. They're, they're not worried about that. It's like, oh, hey that this is an all you know we're we're free of the constraints that we used to have and now my good salesman buddy joe he can talk to somebody in hong kong and london and taiwan and singapore all in one day right, right. you know and and he's not limited to one trip to one place to talk to one client over a period of four days and then need a day off and, and, you know, how much of our buildings are consuming our efforts and energies of maintaining them, you know, and um, when maybe that's not where we should be spending our energy, you know, maybe, maybe we're longing or desiring the wrong thing. Yeah. And when, and Tim, when you start asking that, you're getting down to, to core questions of, you know, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because we have, we have wrapped so much of that into um, committees and deacons and being involved in Sunday school and showing up. Um, and what we really need to be asking is, man, how, how do we help people follow Jesus? How do we help one another follow Jesus um, and, and grow to look like him? Well, and, and, and it raises the horribly difficult questions of how do we measure success? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, success was a big church building, gleaming, shining steeple, big parking lot full of cars. And then how do you sell a congregation on, the, on a new reality and saying, you know, maybe success for us is maybe we ought to sell this building right. and downsize to a rented, you know, space that's one third the size of what it used to be. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, get rid of these five committees and, you know, that kind of, of, of you know, how do you measure success? And if you don't get on an agreement with your whole congregation of what does success look like now, you know, it's going to be awful difficult to turn those corners. You know, uh, yeah, you become the bad guy. You know, you look at, well, Zacchaeus, how do we move people from greed to generosity, from selfishness to selflessness? And, and how do we move people from 
from anger to peacemaking? Um, those are the real questions. Yeah. And, and you can avoid the difficult questions like that when you go, well, you know, our budget this year was 10% higher than last year. You know, so we must be doing something right. Um, yeah, well, you know, you, it, it'd be like, how do you convince a church that it might be better success if you had 45 groups meeting on patios of people's homes across the whole community yeah. rather than having 945 Sunday school classes in that building over there with those chairs? Yes. Yes. You know, and, and how, do you, how do you know that um, you're doing the right thing if you walk into that sad old building and it's yeah. got cobwebs and junk piled in it? And it's like, uh, no, so you can is this them. good? Yeah, yeah. I, I stopped by a church um, recently and you could smell the building before you got to it. Mold. Yeah, and, and you just go, you know, who's gonna come here? Uh, surely there's more to, to it than this. So, uh, you know, and I, and I hate to say that, but there are there are places where deferred maintenance has just become the norm. They've eaten the building. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, Tim, man, I always enjoy visiting with you and I appreciate it. And, you know, <laughs> I sent you some questions beforehand and it, it might not have gone exactly that way, but I think it was a great conversation. And, and what I really am aiming to do with this uh, podcast is... I have some great conversations just like this every week. And I thought, man, how cool would it be if we could just kind of listen to in from some of these conversations to spark thought and, and to, to spark some prayer about new things and new ways to be God's people in, you know, in 2020 and beyond. So yeah, always enjoy visiting with you, man. I appreciate Likewise. it. Likewise. Well, thanks for giving me the call, the opportunity. It's been a delight to visit. Good, good. Well, I'll tell you what, I think we've got more to, to follow up on, so we may have to do this again, and, and uh, appreciate you, and it's been, uh, uh, I'm always grateful for your uh, insight into the kingdom. Thank you, Steve, and uh, likewise, really respect you and your ministry and all that you've been doing and continue to do for the kingdom. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, next time, we'll go back to uh, I hope we get to meet before next year's in-person convention, but, um, but if not, it's good to visit with you. I appreciate you. Yeah. Likewise. Take care. Right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.